Speaking of the law and comparing it to Jesus, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Oh, the law is valuable and it's beautiful, but it doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't replace Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ replaces the law. Now by faith in him. This is amazing grace. The law is good as far as it goes, but nothing compares to Jesus. Welcome to today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Last time we heard about the need for something more than the law, and as good as it is, it can't save. Yet many were turning back to it. It's a terrible mistake and still being made today in different ways. Pastor Ed begins today's teaching by setting the record straight that you'll never do better than Jesus. We're in Hebrews chapter 7. You're feeling so overwhelmed that you think being drunk will actually be better than what you're feeling right now. You're so overwhelmed in whatever circumstances that you're facing that you think that smoking that joint or snorting that line or even the progression of heroin and all of that, that's really going to give you the kind of joy and happiness and peace when you know it doesn't last forever and it only makes things worse. I think back in my own personal experience, every major stupid thing I did, major huge things where I was under the influence of something. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes not being in, under the influence of drugs or alcohol for sure, but it only got worse, not better. And so think of that as a believer in Jesus Christ, a born again man, a born again woman that says, God, you are not my sufficiency. I don't trust you right now. I can't take this anymore. I don't wanna feel this anymore and you run away. Because that gets lost in, that truth gets lost in the sense of, who's Melchizedek, Ed? And the Bible, although that's an interesting thing to study, and I encourage you, if you're really curious about it, spend some time. But that's actually not the question of chapter seven. The question of chapter seven is, who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Because if you believe he is who he says he is, you won't go backwards. And even going backwards is kind of a, a weird concept for many people. The, the closest thing that I can relate this, this sense of what the Hebrews are going through would be those of you that were born and raised in a Roman Catholic home, in the Roman Catholic religion, and you went through all the formalities of Catholicism, and you did everything the priest told you to do, and you did everything because that's what your family was, and maybe you grew up in a family. I'm born a Catholic, I'm going to die a Catholic, and I'll live sort of like a Catholic when I feel like it the rest of my life. And so you go through all the formalism and you find yourself in church on Easter or Christmas and that, that's about it, midnight mass perhaps. And then you are introduced to Jesus Christ and who he is and you embrace him in relationship. And in that relationship you decide, you know, I'm going to leave the Roman Catholic Church because the Bible teaches I don't need to go through a priest. I can come right to Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that he wants a relationship with me, that I can, I can have a personal connection to the God of all the universe. I don't need to go through all these things. As a matter of fact, most of these things aren't even in the Bible. And you have left Roman Catholicism behind, and yet the response of your family and friends is like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You've left the church. 
And you're like, I, didn't, I actually didn't leave the church at all. I am the church. And you go, what do you mean? And you open up the Bible, you go, right here, it says, all of us that believe in you, we're the church. And then you begin to explain to your family, but then they come with arguments. No, what about this? And what does that church teach? And, and they might even accuse you of being a part of a cult. Because what are you doing now? Reading the Bible and praying and worshiping God in freedom. That's about, for those of you that had that experience, that's about as close as I can get to what this looks like, where they have all this external pressure to try to pull them away from the simplicity of Jesus Christ. And it is that simple. You might even feel a little guilty at times. Where you're like, is it really this simple? It is. It's actually simpler than simple. The idea of abiding and trusting, laying aside your idols and coming to God through Jesus Christ, experiencing, experiencing perfection. Even though we're sinful, God is perfecting us through Jesus Christ. Now, let's go over to Psalm 110 then see this prophetic word in Psalm 110. Melchizedek now is mentioned again, and he's quoted here in Hebrews 7. So notice with me Psalm 110. Pick up in verse 1. David is writing. David's writing this psalm. And you, you'll see the distinctions here. This is where understanding how your Bible's written will help you. You'll notice in verse 1, the first Lord that's mentioned is in all capital letters. Do you guys see that? That is always a reference in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, of a reference to Jehovah or Yahweh. Because we don't know exactly God's name because it's only in consonants, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, even some variation on that, the translators use the word Lord in capitals. So this is Jehovah said to my Lord. Notice those are L and then lowercase O-R-D. So David is saying, Jehovah, my Jehovah God, has spoken to my Lord, which is a reference to Messiah. Remember, if you were a follower of Judaism, you were looking for Messiah to come. You were looking, you're waiting for the promised Messiah to come. David was in that place. And so he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jehovah shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. This is the father speaking to the son. It's a fascinating conversation within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Then he says in verse three, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauty of your holiness, from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. And the Lord has sworn, Jehovah has sworn, and will not relent, you, speaking of Messiah, Jesus, will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So this was prophesied, this was another prophecy fulfilled by Jesus Christ, that he would not be a priest according to the human order of Levi or the Mosaic covenant. Aaron and the Levites were a part of a system that was unable to make you or anyone perfect. The purpose of the law was not to perfect anyone. The law was holy, just, and good and had a purpose. Let me teach you that purpose. Go over to Galatians chapter 3. This is super important because there are those today that will be pushing and pressuring you to go back to the Torah. They will say, you aren't a good follower of Christ if you don't follow the Torah, the law, if you're not a keeper of the law. And their voices are getting louder and louder today. They may be coming from that Messianic Jewish perspective, that you're not a real Christian because you're a Gentile and you've left your Jewish roots. You haven't left your Jewish roots. There would be no Christianity without your Jewish roots. 
for the most part, we are Gentiles, and we are not under the law. You should rejoice over that. We are not under the law. Neither were the Jewish believers of the first century. Hebrews and Galatians are actually companion books, so that if anyone ever comes to you and says, you've got to keep the law, you've got to be a Torah observer, you just open them right here to Galatians chapter 3, and you give them a simple Bible study, and it couldn't be more clearer. And I'll show you, both Hebrews and Galatians couldn't be more clear. So pick up with me, chapter 3, verse 19. Couldn't be clear. Listen to what the Bible says. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed, now mark that word, till. The law was added because of transgressions until. So there's a time where it's not going to be needed anymore. There's going to be a time to make someone righteous for salvation. Not that it doesn't give us good precepts and doesn't reflect the character of God, but there's going to come a time when, when the seed comes, who is that seed? Say it out loud. Jesus, right? Should come that the promise was made. It was appointed through angels, the hand of a mediator, because that's how Moses received it. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then, verse 21, against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given that could have given life, then righteousness would have been given by the law. But the scriptures confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Circle that word tutor and write next to it, teacher. The law is a teacher to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For as you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, as many of you were baptized into Christ to put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the law was given because of transgressions to point out our sinfulness, why? so that we would humble ourselves and come to God for forgiveness. The way that God provided that under the law was through the sacrificial system. You came to God through a priest and an animal sacrificed. And the high priest alone, one man, one time a year, would take the blood of an animal and spread it in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. He would come in once a year and he would have to have three animals. One, he'd sacrifice for himself because he was sinful. The second one, he'd sacrifice for the people and he'd take that blood into the Holy of Holies. And the third, he'd come out and lay hands on that goat, that scapegoat that he would lay hands on him, offer the sins of the people over him, and then he would let the goat go and they'd, everyone would watch him run away. And that would be representative. It would be a picture of the sins being removed from the people. And I want you to see here, before we get back to Hebrews, in verse 24, the law was a tutor, and it can still be used that today. One of the ways to share the gospel is to reveal to people that they're guilty before God, and the law still works that way today. You and I look at our life in light of the law, just not even the whole law, just the Ten Commandments. We're going to fail at every point. Some, somewhere along the way, we're going to fail, and we'll recognize, you know, we're not perfect before God. Why? Because the law doesn't make you perfect. It actually reveals your imperfections. The law, the Bible says, is like a mirror. And you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror. Can the mirror fix you? Yes or no? No, it just tells you, you need help. <laughs> and you agree. 
You get into the shower, you comb your hair, you get ready, you agree. The mirror, you know, the best thing that you and I do in the morning is agree with the mirror. The best thing you and I do in life is agree with the Bible. It reveals that we need help and also reveals to us where to get help. And I don't want you to miss what this is saying because the law is equated to being a tutor. And that's a specific illustration for them because in the Greek homes, in the Greek and Roman homes of the day, the tutor had a duty to supervise young boys on behalf of their parents. And they trained them and, and basically parented them, helped them study, did their schoolwork, disciplined them until they were of the age where they didn't need a tutor anymore. And then they could move on. So with the timing of a tutor, notice what he says. The tutor was here to bring us to Christ so that we could be justified by faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ makes the tutor not needed anymore to be right with God. Then verse 25 couldn't say it clearer. If anyone ever comes and tries to lay a trip on you about the law and how important it is for you to keep it and to, to be a student of the Torah as it is, they may say, well, it's not for a means of righteousness. Well, no, it's for a means to point us back to Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. And if anyone ever tries to lay that trip on you, you take them to Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, and let them read it. But after faith has come, so let's just ask, has faith come? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ today? So this applies to you. After faith has come, you are no longer under a tutor. Or the tutor represents the, say it out loud. I'm teaching you here something because I don't want you tripped up by some YouTube video or some guys go, oh, you need, you're missing out on something. You're not real Christians. You're Gentiles. And what you need is go back to your Jewish roots. Listen, you're no longer under a tutor. You're no longer under the law. Your faith in Jesus Christ is sufficient for your salvation. Don't misunderstand me. The value of the entirety of the Bible is still very valuable and instructive to us. And we'll study it verse by verse, the whole Bible. To know the law, you know, the value of the law of going through Leviticus helps you understand Hebrews. Because some of you are going through Hebrews and go, man, I don't know. I can't picture it. I don't know. I lost it. Melchizedek, I can't even say that. And you didn't know he was mentioned in Genesis. And you didn't recognize that verse in Psalm 110. Oh, the law is valuable. And it's beautiful, but it doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't replace Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ replaces the law. Now by faith in him. So if anybody ever comes and lays that trip on you, don't accept it. If you find yourself wanting to study those things of the Jewish roots of Christianity, go for it. It's exciting. It's wonderful. The feasts, the meanings of the feasts. But remember, 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 remember. Jesus Christ, in him you have it all. In him everything is yours. Come back to Hebrews chapter 7 now. Okay, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12 is one of the clearest single statements in all of the Bible that God terminated the Mosaic law. That there's a definite beginning and end. It couldn't be clearer. That's why people would gasp. For the priesthood also being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law. When today, when you pray, every time you pray, you may not recognize this, but today, every time you pray in Jesus' name, that is an affirmation of the end of the law. When you say, I pray this in Jesus' name, you are acknowledging the sum total of the character and nature of Jesus Christ to come who the only man... Jesus was fully man and fully God to fulfill 
the law. When you pray in Jesus' name, you are saying at the same time, Jesus replaced the law. You probably never even knew that. So between Galatians chapter 3, you're no longer under a tutor. Faith came. Hebrews chapter 7, Galatians and Hebrews are written to those that are drawn back to the law. That's the whole reason why they're in the Bible, because many people are today. And you just kind of feel like you're missing something. You're not missing anything. You have everything in Jesus Christ. Let's close up with the rest of the chapter now. This greater priesthood, he says in verse 20, inasmuch as he was made a priest without an oath, they've become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant, which will be our next study a better covenant, or what we refer to today as the new covenant. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So in the old covenant, the priest died, and then a new priest would come. They couldn't serve forever. They actually had a limitation. Priests would start at about the age of 30 and then retire from offering sacrifices at about the age 50, and then another priest would come in. And there would always be a new priest because there would be an age change and also they would die. They would have to be replaced. So he says in verse 24, but he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Why would you leave Jesus? He's better. He's unchangeable. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for him. Now, save is an unfortunate translation. Actually, the word should be translated complete because this isn't a statement about salvation. Jesus doesn't save you continually because he prays for you and intercedes for you. He's able to complete you and bring about that ongoing sanctification process in you because of his place. He's unchanging priest. Notice it says, for such a high priest was fitting for us. And notice Jesus in verse 26 is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. Who doesn't need daily as those who high priest to offer up sacrifices first for himself and then for others? Because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Like he's the greatest high priest because he didn't offer an animal, he offered himself. I mean, this would be life-changing for the audience. We kind of take it for granted, but this would be life-changing. And we begin to see the backdrop and the contrast. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who's been perfected forever. So a couple things before we go. Number one, the priests of the day of Jesus were far from holy. Notice, it says Jesus was a holy, harmless, undefiled, verse 26, and separate from sinners. Not so for the priests of Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, who received the greatest condemnation and words of rebuke in Jesus' day? The religious rulers. He was a friend of sinners, those that acknowledged that, and rec- but those that were taking advantage. What, what did Jesus do? He made a whip of cords and he overturned the tables in the temple. Why? Because the priests were ripping people off. And so this would be another, hey, your high priest He is holy and harmless, undefiled. He's not like the priests that are taking advantage of you, marking up the price for sacrificial animals, stealing from you, using you. Not so for Jesus. Secondly, we see that Jesus doesn't have to offer for himself. He offers himself. He doesn't offer an animal. He offers himself. You see, no system, no religion, no book, no seminar, no pastor, no priest, no church, No one can perfect you but Jesus Christ. No one and nothing. You have it all in him. 
And he's harmless and undefiled, unlike the priests of the day. You see, the Jews were bound up in their religion, and they missed it. They missed the predictability of it. They missed the formality of it. They missed the relational community aspects of it. And they were tempted to walk away from Jesus. But see, Jesus is greater than Abraham, and he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than Aaron, and he's greater than Levi. All the important, see, those priests, priests became a priest because of the family they were born into. You couldn't be a priest unless you came through the line of Levi. But the contrast with Jesus is he's not a priest because of his family. He's a priest because God made an oath on him. He appointed him. This priesthood came directly from God the Father. And it wasn't because he was born into some family line. He's actually from the line of Judah. He's a priest not according to Aaron and Levi, but according to Melchizedek. And Paul is pointing out Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. That's the key. And you know, today people make a choice of how to follow God. They either follow God according to the line of Aaron and Levi, where they come to God with their works and their efforts and their energy, and they say, well, and then they feel guilty and condemned because they never feel good enough. And you come to them with your own works and your own efforts, and it always leads to frustration. And there are those that come to God through Jesus Christ through the order of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek, he represents something that's finished, that the work is already done, that we don't keep bringing sacrifices and bloody animals. Praise God we don't do that anymore. You know, that alone would say that God has made a change in his relationship with people because we have never in the life of our church ever told someone, leave your goat and lamb at the door, please. We aren't doing that anymore. No, but I read the Bible and it said to bring a sacrifice. No, no, no. You had to keep reading because Jesus came (laughs) and no longer do we bring sacrifices. Most of us never lived under the law. We came to faith in Jesus Christ in the new covenant. We weren't even exposed. There are a few people that are exposed first to Judaism, then the new covenant. But I would say most of us, if not all of us, came to Christ under the new covenant, believing that he offered himself, that it's not your works, it's not your efforts, it's not your good deeds, it's not how good of a person you are. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ who came not according to Levi, but according to Melchizedek. And that, my friends, is chapter seven of Hebrews. I hope you understood it. I hope you chew on it. I hope you walk away going, you know, if I could teach you anything as a pastor is don't get caught up on all the little controversies and miss Jesus. Don't get caught up. Well, who's Melchizedek? I still want to know who Melchizedek is. Well, have at it, but don't miss Jesus. Don't miss his significance. And remember, when you read, don't forget this. When you read Genesis, you'll find Jesus there. When you read Exodus, you'll find Jesus there. When you flip into the Psalms and you walk through the emotional ups and downs of David, you'll find Jesus there because he's everywhere. He's the scarlet thread throughout the entirety of the scriptures. And when you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Jesus, you can't miss him if you look for him. If you have him, you'll have all you need. He is sufficient. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We are so thankful to God for this. 
And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 365 Quick Answers to Key Questions. This will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Our number again, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.